This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. My name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, that, that chorus that, you know, Vince just led us in and they even prayed over is, is really the heart behind uh, this church. Uh, so we're relatively young still. Um, I still call us a church plant. Um, and so we're still, we're still learning and growing. Um, we're still living under the support and help of, of mom and dad, that being um, other churches and families that help support us so that one day we can move out and stand on our own two feet and then do the same for others one day. Um, and so we're, we're about, if I have, I may have already said that, we're about a year and a half into uh, since we started services. Um, and, and our heartbeat, our mission is to lead people to life in Jesus. That is why we are here. Because we believe that last course to be true. That we will always be unfulfilled outside of communion with Christ. That we, and, and not just because like, oh, he's, he, like, he's great, which, which he is, but we're made for that. So, so we'll always feel broken, disconnected outside of living in what we are created for, um, which, is, which is to be in full communion with God. And so uh, that's our heart, um, is that we, God will give us the opportunity to lead people to life in Jesus um, and, and that alone. And so uh, that's what we are here for. Uh, today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and, and turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some in the back. Look like Mike, looks like Mike's getting up to pass them out. Way to go, Mike. Thanks, man. Um, that's our other pastor, by the way. If you uh, haven't met Mike, uh, he is a capital fellow. Um, yes, I say that in my regular conversation. Um, but yeah, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab one. Uh, you free to take those. Uh, we always say if you've got a friend who, d- who doesn't have one, take it and give it away. Uh, he- here's the deal. Here's the deal, y'all. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to come at us in life, a lot of opinions, a lot of voices. Uh, the, the most common voice that we're going to listen to is our own. Like we're in a nonstop dialogue inside our head. Uh, and, and so there's always these voices, and, and we just think that we're kind of faulty people. Uh, and so these voices, while they may be true some of the time or not all the time, we believe the Bible is true all the time from beginning to end. And so we want to come here for what is truth. When we have questions or when we're like, I think this is God. God's word, we want to then say, okay, let's see if it matches up here. If it doesn't match up here, it's not God's word, right? Like, this, if, if, if it's like, oh, I think God's telling me to do this, but the Bible actually says the opposite, then God's not telling you to do that. Uh, and so we always want to come back to here uh, because this is the, what we believe, objective truth. Um, and so uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you know someone who needs one, take one, give them away. We are glad to replenish them. Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Uh, next week, oh my gosh, right, Mike, you left. Uh, next week, I think we start a series in Acts. Uh, let me make sure I'm, I'm going through our schedule in my head. I think that's correct. Uh, and, and so just so you know, we'll start going through Acts chapter 1. And our goal, we're not going to be able to get every verse, is to go through the book of Acts this semester. Uh, so that's where we'll be going forward starting next week if you're, if you're curious. Um, last week, we wanted to look at uh, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus um, to anyone who claims to be a Christian or who says, like, yes, I want to follow Jesus, what does it mean? And we looked at Jesus' words, uh, not what I said or someone else says, but these are what Jesus says. And the invitation from Jesus is, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow Jesus, come on. Like, let's go. The invitation is open, but, but you, 
It's a wholehearted follow. It's a, it's a total surrender. It's not a, I'm going to follow Jesus with one foot and I'm going to go my own way with the other foot. Um, we, we gave the illustration, right? Like there's two doors here. You, you cannot literally walk through both doors at the same time. It's, it's one door or the other, right? And so Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, come on, but you have to stop going your way and you have to surrender your life and trust me and follow me wholly. And that's the only way that you can be a disciple of Jesus. That's the only way that we can be followers of Christ. And so, um, man, the, that's the invitation. That's the invitation. And so today in 2 Corinthians 5, I, I want to look at what happens to us when we repent, when we trust, when we trust and turn to follow Jesus, right? Like what, what happens in that moment in us? And so let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read through 17. Uh, and then we'll talk for a bit. It says, The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one, talking about Jesus, has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Right? That's the invitation of Jesus. You want to follow me, you have to die to yourself, and you have to follow me. Like, no more living for self. So, all who follow Jesus have died um, to themselves. And, and Jesus, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's, let's pray. God, we... A lot of times your, your word is, is really straightforward and easy to understand. Um, and yet at the same time, it's difficult for us to, to really apply and let it sink in. God, your word tells us that in Christ we're new, we're brand new. There's something new and that the old self is gone and there's a new person. Um, God, help us to, to know that deeply and to trust and to follow that in truth. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So I've got um, two cups here. One is grape juice, one is legit wine, and at this point I really don't know which is which. Um, so like just on the outside looking in, like they, I, I don't know if you can tell by just looking at the color, um, I cannot. Um, just uh, do I stir it like that? And just, uh, right, 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 of course. Um, so we've got, we've got two, two, two cups here, right? One is, that's the grape juice, that's the grape juice. One is grape juice, one is, is wine, yet they, they, they look the same on the outside, yet I think everybody at this point knows they are, in fact, different products, right? They, they, they are not just, like, different in, in look, but different in taste. Chemically, they are a, a completely different product. This wine, though, began as grape juice, right? So the, so the process of, of grape juice going to wine, right, like, a, you pick the grapes and then you crush the grapes, and then the juice comes out of the grape, and then, and then it's stored, and it ferments. And in that fermentation stage, there is a chemical transformation that happens from the grape juice that transforms it into wine. It's not like if you have ice cubes, and you sit out in the sun, and you let it melt, and now you have water. It's like, oh, we have two different things. No, you still have chemically the same product. It's just in a different state. These are two different products. They're, they are fundamentally, chemically different. One has been transformed into something completely new. 
So in, in John chapter 1, we see Jesus interacting with wine. His first miracle that he ever performs is with wine. He goes to a wedding, and the, the wedding, they, they run out of wine to serve to the guests, which is incredibly humiliating. It, it's like if you had a wedding today, and you're like, we're going to have a dinner. And then like halfway through, it's like, well, I guess we're out of food. Like, that's just something where you, you, don't, you don't run out of food at a wedding, right? Like, that would be humiliating to the host. That would be just terrible. And so the hosts are humiliated because they're out of wine. And so Jesus' mom comes up and is like, hey, Jesus. They're out of wine. And so Jesus takes these jars of water, and he says, hey, take these and, and go, go take them to the, to the host. And as they do, the water transforms into wine. Like, it, it, it literally goes from water to wine, and, and then the celebration and the party continues. And it's like, okay, great, thanks, Jesus. Like, you, you continued this party by, by making wine. Um, but not only did he make wine, the, the host the, the, the guy who provided all the wine, what was traditional is that you would take the best wine first and you'd put it out. And so as the, as the guests are drinking the best wine, like this is fantastic. And then as they have one cup and two cups and their tastes begin to get a little more normalized, then you bring out the less good wine, right? Because no one knows any different at that point anyways. Um, and, and so that was tradition. You start with the best wine and then you move to the worst. But, but as Jesus turned this water into the wine, the host tasted it and he goes, oh my gosh. Like, this is better than the best wine I even started with. So what's the point of Jesus doing this miracle? Like, what, what is he trying to communicate here? And it's this, that when an, when an object, when something is surrendered fully into the hands of Jesus, he makes it totally new. And, and not only new, but better. Is that he takes something that once was and he transforms it and makes it entirely new, but not only just like a new version, but a better version than was previously there. That, that's, the, that's the thesis of Jesus' life and ministry. That's why he starts with that miracle, is so that we can know this is his purpose, is that he, wanted, he wants to take our lives, he wants to take things, and so when surrendered to his hands, what he is going to do is to bring forth something that is new and better. That is the promise and guarantee of a life surrendered to Jesus. That is his ministry. That is what he wants to do for you and me. And so 2 Corinthians 5 is telling us that in verse 17, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. There's a new creation here. Literally, something has transformed, and, and what was in a person is fundamentally different. It is, is new. This is huge. Like, this changes everything. To be in Christ, that's what that is what we're here for as a church, to lead people to life in Jesus, because we believe that life is found only in Christ, and that when surrendered to him, he makes us new. We see this in other parts of the Bible. John 3, 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus later is like, I don't get it. Like, I'm, I'm already born. What do you want me to do? Go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's, it's a spiritual rebirth, that there's something inside of you that is born again, that is reborn to a new creation. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's there again, right? Like there's a born again. There's a, a new birth that is happening. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. 
earlier in chapter 2, it says you were dead in your sins and trespasses. But then in verse 8, it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible talks about how when we trust Christ, when we make that decision to repent and turn to him, that we are made new. That something, not just like a, oh, I'm a, I'm a better version of my old self, like I've put away some of my old habits, but that literally something spiritually inside of us comes alive that was dead, and we are a new creation. The, the, the theological term, if you want to use it, um, is called regeneration. That we're, we're regenerated. We're given new life. That we're taken from death to life. That we're taken from darkness to light. That we are made new again. So I just, I want to I dive into this a little more about what, what's actually happening here. Because it, it, it is the changing age. It changes everything. It changes everything. That, that right now we, you, I, don't, I don't know all of your stories. You could be this old self and Jesus is saying, hey, trust me and I'll make you new. Or you could be this new self. What does that mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be made new? So the, the phrase in Christ here that we see in verse 7 uh, means to be united with Jesus. It's like, it's like being tethered together, interwoven, where, where you can't separate, like, okay, this is, this is Corey and this is Jesus, and they kind of like circle around each other. But, but when in Christ you're united together, there is a, a joining that happens together. So what does that mean? How does that happen? How do you become in Christ and united with him? So we see in verse 16 and 17, Paul gives us this word, therefore. Therefore is a cause and effect word, right? So it, it brings in and it says, okay, therefore you are a new creation. Well, what caused being a new creation, right? The effect is that you're a new creation. What, what's on the front end of that therefore? Well, if we go back, we see verse 14 and 15, that the love of Christ controls us, that he has died for all and that he th th that he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised so paul is going back to the life death and resurrection of jesus and saying that that is the cause that leads to the effect of being a new creation You've maybe said or thought at one point, and, and, and I don't, if, if this is a phrase that's come out of your mouth or it's something that you, you've thought, I don't, I don't mean, to, I don't mean to, be, to be mean or to call you out, um, but, but it's just not true. If you've ever thought, I've always been a Christian, biblically that's not true. We're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. I was born this way. N no, biblically we're, we're not. We're not born Christians, there comes a point when we're born again, we're made alive, and the, we're, we're, we become a new creation. And the only way that happens, the only way we become a new creation is by believing and surrendering to the gospel of Christ. The, the word gospel means good news. The gospel tells us from beginning to end that God created each one of us uniquely. Every single one of us he has formed and fashioned so that we would have a relationship with him. That we would walk in unity and, 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 in, and in him, with him, tethered together. 
But the Bible also says that each one of us has gone our own way. Each one of us has decided to choose our own route. And we have separated ourselves from that union with God. We have loved sin more than we have loved God. We have loved ourselves more than we have loved God. Each one of us has done that and has broken that relationship. That reason we were created for that union with God has been broken. But God, who is rich in mercy and abundant in love, the offended moves near to the offender. God always moves near. He is always moving near and pursuing. And God moves near to us in order to reconcile us back into a relationship with him to restore our brokenness back into that relationship. And the way that he did that is through Jesus. Jesus comes and he stands in our place so that we can stand in his. Jesus, who was rich, made himself poor so that we who are poor could receive his wealth. Jesus came and he gave us everything so that we could have life. He lived the perfect life that we were expected to live. We're expected to always remain in union with God, but we walked away. Jesus never walked away. So he lived that perfect life. And then he, he died to suffer the punishment for our sin. Every guilt, every guilty action deserves punishment. Well, the punishment for our sin is eternal separation from God. It's death, and Jesus comes and he supernaturally absorbs that punishment on our behalf so that we don't have to suffer that punishment. And then he rises from the dead so that he can give us a new and eternal life. If Jesus is still dead, then one day we're going to die into the story, game over, done. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have eternal life today and forever. And the only way we are made new is when we hear that message and we're given the faith to believe it and to trust that that's it. That's how my sins are forgiven and I'm reconciled back to a relationship with God today and forever. We cannot be saved by coming to church. We cannot be saved by reading and knowing this, just memorizing it. We cannot be saved by, by doing good works. There were plenty of people in the Bible who did that. We're saved by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And when we do that, when we repent, we are united with him. A spiritual transformation happens inside of us where we are made literally new. Ephesians 1 says we receive all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places through Christ. Look, y'all, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Right? Like all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I don't even know what all that means, but Ephesians 1 says that's what we get when we're joined in with Christ. The full The full pour, the full shower of spiritual blessings is poured onto us in Christ. But here are some of the things I do know we receive. That perfect record that Jesus lived, from from day one to the day he ascended to heaven, he never sinned. That perfect record, that gets transferred into our name. It's It's like we have to take a test. And the only way to pass the class is to get 100, right? And, and, and so we, we take this test, and man, we just, like, you know, you know, you know when you didn't do good on the test. You're like, I don't know. I, didn't, like, I left that answer blank. I don't even know what to do there, right? Like, it was a different language, you know? And, and so, like, you, you take that test up there, and you got your name on it, and you're like, this is not going to go well. And then Jesus walks up, right, and he just got a perfect score. And what he does is he takes your test, and he erases your name. He takes your test and he erases your name and writes his name on it. And then he takes his test and he erases his name and he writes your name on it. And then you get to hand in the perfect grade, the perfect 
record, not because you sat down and you earned it, but because Jesus did and he transfers it to you. He gives it to you. So when we're joined with Christ, we're given that perfect record that is expected to be in the presence of God. When we're joined with Christ, the the punishment due for our sin is settled by Jesus. He he pays the price for us. He does the time for us, right? If we're convicted of a sin and we got to serve, I don't know, 10 years in prison, like you got to serve that time. Like that has to come up like, okay, this time has been served. Well, Jesus steps in and serves the time for us. He suffers the punishment for us. That time is served. It's just served by someone else in our place. So we receive that credit that the time, the punishment has been paid. Jesus now is alive forever with God. And when we're joined in union with him, we receive that eternal life. It's given to us that our our, our spirits will never die, but will forever live with God. We're we're just given all that, y'all. We're just given all of that in Christ. Romans 6 talks about this, this process. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we trust Christ, our old self, is, it, it, it dies with Jesus. Just like Jesus died and was buried, our old sinful nature dies and is buried with Jesus. But just like Jesus lives and is walking forever in a new life, we're given a new life to live and to walk forever with God. We're united with him. What is his is now ours. And we can't separate that. We're tethered with him. But not only that, not only do we receive that, we receive the very spirit of God to come and live in us. Romans 8, 11, it says this. I'll go back to verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When we trust Christ, there's a spiritual transformation that takes place that the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead comes and dwells inside of us. We are fundamentally different. When I trusted Christ, there was a spiritual transformation that took place. I did not have the spirit of God in me, and then by trusting him, I was given the spirit of God. I am a different person. Not just because I do different things, but because I am made different by the Spirit of God in me. He leaves His Spirit to know God and to follow Him in obedience. 1 John chapter 2 says that we are to walk just as Jesus walked. Well, the only way we have a chance of doing that is if the Spirit of Jesus is in us. To make us able to walk as He walked. To know Him. To be like Him. We have the Spirit of God in Him. We're, We're intertwined. That's why the Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because if we trust in Christ, the Spirit of God is in us. And when we sin, it's like putting fire to skin, right? Like, that, that, those two don't mix. You don't put an open flame to your skin. That doesn't go well. And if the Spirit of God is in us, we don't, we don't put in sin because it grieves the Spirit. It hurts the Spirit and character of God. 
this is, this is what it means to have life in Jesus. This is what it means to be a new creation, to be united in him. When we trust Christ, we are literally something new. Like we're, we're a different person, a different product. And this, this newness, this is, this is the work of God. Look, you and I, like, how, how many times have you seen something or someone dead to be like, oh, I'm not going to be dead anymore, I'll, I'll come back to life. We're not going to raise our own dead spirits. The only God can do that. This is only the work of God. And the Bible even argues that we're, this message of the gospel, like we're, we're really not even going to believe it unless God grabs our face and turns us towards it. He's like, look at this, right? You, you, ever, you ever had just like someone be like, look, or do you not see what's right in front of you? And God turns and he grabs our face and he's like, look at this. This, this is a gift of God. So how do we know if we're saved? How do we know if we're a new creation? Anyone ever ask that question? You don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, just, how do you know? I mean, I asked that question for eight years of my life. Like, I don't know. How do I know if I'm, if I'm a Christian? Like, what? The great news is the Bible over and over and over again says, hey, like, we've written this so that you may know you are saved. So we don't have to wonder. We don't have to question, like, oh, I don't know, am I saved? If I die right now, am I going to go to heaven? Like, that doesn't have to be a doubt or a question. So how do you know today, sitting right here right now, how can you know without a doubt, okay, I am a new creation. I am saved. I am a Christian. So I think, you know, this has been one of the most asked questions. And, and if I can be honest, because I think in, in a church culture, it's honestly a question that should be asked more often by people who don't ask it. I think there's a lot of people that, gosh, I wish they would ask that question, but they've just kind of assumed the whole, the whole time that they're, they are saved, and they've never really asked, wait, how do I know? And so I don't, I don't mean to, to, make, you know, to do, do any fear tactics or anything like that. I just, these are the words of Jesus, right? These are his words. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? Not everyone who talks the talk, who just says stuff, is actually going to enter the kingdom of God, heaven. But it's the one who, whose life follows up with what they say. And then he says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so I don't, the Bible doesn't want us to be afraid or question, but at the same time, I think the Bible does want us to know and to question and to know through that. Because I think there's going to be many very religious and good people, many religious and good people who, if we're, if Jesus means what he says, did incredible works in his name who will stand in the end and Jesus will say, like, I know you did good works, but I never knew you. So how do we know? Like, how can we be certain that we are saved? How can we be certain that we're not just doing good things because it makes us feel good or because we, we think we're supposed to be religious? Like, how can, we, how can we know? The first thing, and I would just ask everyone right now to answer this question in your heart, 
right here, right now, is your trust in Christ alone to save you. If, if we all supernaturally found ourselves standing or sitting before the God of this world and, and, and his entrance into his kingdom was behind him, and he said, why, why should you, like, why should you make it in? Why should you come in? Is your answer alone Jesus? Period. Done. Because he did everything to, to give me access, to make me right. Because if the answer is Jesus plus I went to church, or, or I was a really good person, or I've always believed in you, God, and, and I did this or that or whatever, if, if it's anything in our own strength, then we're not trusting in Christ alone. We may be trusting in Jesus, but we're also trusting in ourselves. And Jesus says, you can't do both. It's all to me. It's total surrender to me. I think so many people that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, I just, I, I think that they're going to stand and they're going to say, I did these good things in your name. I believed in you cognitively, and he's going to say, but you never trusted your life with me. You still felt that you earned your way in. For eight years, and I've told you this, I, I thought I was a Christian, and I don't think that I was. I grew up believing I, in God my entire life. I can't remember a day where I didn't. I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't believe in Jesus or that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. But I also know that, that I trusted very much in this prayer that I prayed. So yes, Jesus, but also I have to do this. And if I don't do this right, then something's wrong. Until I was 15 and it clicked. It doesn't even matter if I prayed. It doesn't matter if I got the wrong words. It doesn't matter if I, you know, did something out of order. What matters is that Jesus perfectly did everything for me and that he will simply give it to me by my faith in him. I don't have to do anything. And I've never questioned since. I've never feared, I've doubted more of, doubted more of my faith in the last two or three years than I would have ever thought possible. I think I've been as transparent as I can about my own questions and doubts, and yet I've never once wondered, am I really a Christian? Because my salvation doesn't depend on my doubts or how strong I'm doing or how good I'm, I'm doing right now or how great I am as a pastor. My salvation depends 150% on Jesus, period, end of story. If I don't make it into heaven, it's because Jesus wasn't enough, and he's enough. That's it. So is your trust in Christ alone to give you that perfect record, to pay the penalty for your sins, and to give you eternal life by his resurrection? If so, I'd say, yeah, I think you're a Christian. But then we're given more evidence. Galatians 5 says, this is the results of being a Christian, right? The Spirit of God literally comes and indwells you. There is the Spirit of God in you, making you new. And with the Spirit of God comes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all things that come with the Spirit. It's not like you're, you're grocery shopping and you're like, oh, I, I lost joy. I need to grab some joy. It's always there. 
Like it's, it's there. The, the character of, of Christ is in you in the spirit of God. It's just a matter of if we're going to walk in it or not. If we're going to put it on. And so evidence of a Christian is that you see a growth in character to look more and more like Jesus throughout your life. Would you say that your life, since you trusted Christ, is progressively looking like Jesus? Not complete. It's never going to be complete until we are face-to-face with him in heaven. But is your life progressively shaped by his character? Would the people closest to you, would they read these fruits of the Spirit and go, yeah, I've seen this growth in that person. I've, I've seen this over time. Is there tangible evidence of you following Jesus in obedience? That's another evidence of someone who is a Christian. Are you, are you willing to say yes to all that God says? Are you willing to say yes? I mean, we read 1 John this week, and I was, uh, 1 John chapter 3, it just, it just got me here. It says, Verse four, well, let me say, yeah, verse, starting verse 6, no one who abides in him, so no one who is united to Christ, no one who is in Christ, keeps on sinning. Look, I'm just, these are not my words. These are the words of, of God. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, as God is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one can be born of, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I don't know if I gave this verse, I did good. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John's just making the point, right? If, if the spirit of Christ is in you, it will be impossible for you to keep on sinning. It will be impossible for you to hold tightly to sin and say, I'm never going to let this go. Because the Spirit of God in you cannot allow that. So, let me be really clear here. Because I know we read that, and, and I'll sign up first. I'll get in the front of the line. I look at my life in the last, I don't know, 30 minutes. And go, well, crap. What do I do with this? Because I'm still a sinner. Like, I'm still struggling. There's, there's areas in my life that are, are tough to handle. So what do we do with that, right? Like, how, I'm supposed to be, to be perfect? And, and what we see in the Bible, right, is that there's men and women of God who followed him, and they screwed up big time, right? Like, they messed up. And so what makes me a Christian is not that I'm going to be perfect in this world, but that when I'm confronted with the truth of God, I am willing to go, yep, I messed up, and turn back to him. 
Now, I may find myself back there again, especially if it's something that I routinely struggle with. I may, I may fall down again. But what demonstrates a Christian is that someone, when they fall down and they look at the, they look at the Scripture and the Scripture says, hey, you've fallen down, they go, you're right. Let me get back up and follow Christ again. And we'll continue to do that over the long haul. What the Bible is saying here is that if there's anything that God says, hey, no, and you're saying, I'm going to do it anyways, that is in opposition to the spirit of Christ in us. We cannot keep on sinning. I cannot love sin and love Jesus at the same time. I can love Jesus and I can struggle and I can fall down, but because I love Jesus, I am going to get back up and turn back to him. And so if we're unwilling to say yes to whatever God says and to fight for that and to pursue that, then the Bible would say maybe you're not a Christian. Actually, I just want to take out the word maybe. The Bible would say you're not. And so if you can say today with full confidence, Jesus alone saves me. His life, his death, his resurrection, period, end of story. That is what saves me. Not how good I am, not anything that I bring to the table. All what he does. And if your life demonstrates a growth in character, a progressive growth. Yes, it may be two steps forward, one step back, four steps forward, three steps back. It may be this dance, but that your life is progressively moving more and more like Jesus. And if you're willing to say everything goes to him and I will hold tightly to nothing, that doesn't mean I'm not going to fight, doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle, but I'm not going to hold tightly to that. I'm willing to walk in obedience, and if I fall down, I'm going to get up and walk in obedience again. If I fall down, I'm going to get up and walk in obedience again. If that is your life, then the Bible says you are a Christian, and that will never change, that God will complete the good work that he began. But if your answer is anything other than Jesus alone, if the character of your life is not increasingly looking like Jesus, and if there's anywhere where God says this is his command and you're unwilling to submit to it, I plead with you, as does the Bible. Repent and turn to Jesus. I don't believe you're a Christian. And I don't say that harshly, I say that in love because I believe that is where life is found and I want it for you. And more than that, God wants it for you. And I think that he wants me to communicate this message so that every person in this room, if you so desire, can know that you're a Christian. That's what I believe he wants to communicate today. I just want to finish this section in 2 Corinthians 5, and this will go fast. Why does God do this? Why does God save us? Why did Jesus come? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this, verse 18 says, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, because Jesus took it, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Two reasons why God does this. One, 
to reconcile us back into relationship with him. Because he straight loves us. It says it from the beginning to end that God's love is steadfast and he moves near to us. That he so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die so that we could be forgiven. That while we were still sinners, while we were actively offending him, the the offended moves near to us in Christ and suffers and dies for everything. So that we can be reconciled to him. So that we can have a relationship with him because that is what we're created for. He loves you deeply. And he gave up everything to come and to serve and to give us life. May we be recipients of that life. And the second reason that he does that is that through us we would make him known to the world. Just just listen to verse 20. Therefore, talking about those who are a new creation. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a legal representative, an official representative. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are his official representatives. This this part gets me. God making his appeal through us. That the way that God is going to bring the message of hope so that people can be reconciled is through us. Through our ambassadorship, our representation of Jesus. That, that when the people see us in the world, they see Jesus. And that when they hear us speak, they hear the words of Jesus. Let that weight sink in for a second that God has chosen to make his appeal. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. And yet he's chosen to make his appeal through you and me as we represent Christ in our lives. So God does all of this and makes us new so that one, we can be reconciled to him and so that two, we can be his ambassadors to the world around us that they too may know God. That's why he does it. Is your life representing Christ? Are we living out this call that God has given us? In Christ we are incredibly new. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.